So there's this phrase around, if you are not ashamed of what you're shipping, then you've done it too late, right? And I think I go the opposite way of that. Go slower, build good things, um, and share along the way. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Scaling DevTools, the show that investigates how DevTools go from zero to one. I'm joined today by Rob Moore, who is the CTO and founder of ChurnKey, which is a tool that helps you with all things retention. Um, so cancellation flows and you know, just making sure that your customers stay around. Um, Rob, thanks for joining. Yeah, it's awesome to do this and in person. It's the first time I've done a podcast in person with somebody. So this is it's a cool experience. Yeah, really excited. And this episode is going to be a little bit different in that we're lucky enough to actually have a CTO with us. And I wanted to really ask you, Rob, about like, how do you make decisions around software and the dev tools that you buy, um, as well as talking about retention so that we can kind of get a, a better idea of like, you know, what really goes into it, looking at it, not from the seller's perspective, but actually from the buyer's perspective as mm. well. Yeah. Yeah. Let's absolutely dig into that. Yeah. So first thing, maybe could you tell us a little bit about Chernkey? So we built Chernkey actually started as an internal product for the same group of people were working on a podcast marketing tool called Wave. And we had a massive churn problem. We were looking at 10 to 13% month over month churn. And we threw everything at this, right? We tried everything. We hired outside consultants for tens of thousands of dollars. And we were just trying to get to the bottom of this. And we spent easily six to eight months working to figure out how we could get this customer retention number up. And what ended up happening is it kind of defied what we expected, but a cancellation flow, um, which takes into account how customers are using the product and presents them with dynamic offers, whether it's uh, pauses or discounts or trial extensions or whatever it may be, um, at the point of cancellation to retain those customers ended up being really, really effective, like far beyond anything that we thought was possible. So before we sold Wave, uh, we had this in place for a number of months and we cut the churn by a substantial margin. And uh, we liked that internal tool so much, we decided to productize it. And since early 2021, we've been working on building out this tool, now called ChurnKey, um, to be the best possible version of it. Um, so that's kind of the origin story of ChurnKey. And as of now, it's a product that we do cancellation flows, but we also do uh, failed payment recovery. So this is called Dunning, where if a customer's card needs to be updated, we'll send an automated retention email campaign where they can easily go and update their card. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and I know that's like a massive difference. One of my friends implemented the Dunning uh, flow and was like raving about it for ages. Yeah, yeah. It's um, So Dunning's been in place for quite a while. I mean, for, for six or seven years, there's been a few competitors in the space and to the point where it kind of, it was surprising that the market on that kind of grew stale in terms of there's there's not a lot of innovation. So we ended up taking everything that we learned from cancel flows, you know, the personalization, the real-time offers, and we applied that then to failed payment recovery. So now instead of just going in and updating your card, we can say, uh, if you update your card now, we'll give you 30% off that invoice and, you know, 20% off your subscription for the next couple of months. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and actually, Rob, so in terms of um, 
developer tools. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm just the developer tools person. So yeah, just don't. yeah, of course. Um, what developer tools are you, you using at the moment? Yeah, I love sure. I love talking about this problem from from this side of it, right? Because I mean, Chunky in itself is is a developer tool largely for the most part. So when I'm actually evaluating products to use, it's this whole psychology, which you know, all these assumptions that I have that I think people are going to think about Chunky are flipped on their head. Uh, so I would say the number one thing that stands out to me, and as talking towards an audience who is is building developer tools, is we often think that especially when we're talking to developers, trying to sell to developers or trying to get them to use our tool, that they are rooted in logic. And they're just going to say, this tool is going to save me time. And it's something that now I don't have to build myself and I'm going to use it. And I think what I've realized so much more from working on both sides of this at the same time is it's less a question of logic and it's more about energy and excitement and there is, of course, this time element, but where we were doing previously maybe a, a time versus money equation, it for me, it's more of a time versus energy equation. And those are things that you can add to on either side. Um, so I think with developer tools on the whole, the interesting thing is that as a developer, you can build something once and then 10 people or 100 people or 10,000 people can use that same tool, right? So it's like, when you're sitting there coding at your kitchen table on your laptop, you're not just coding for yourself, you're coding for, for 10,000 other companies that can eventually use that same exact code. I mean, that's the beauty of code, right? It's infinitely scalable, or at least very, very cheap to scale. So um, when people are evaluating whether or not they want to use that, it's there needs to be this certain activation energy of excitement. So either a, you're taking away a very painful thing. So with Chernkey, for instance, it's a lot of this billing logic. Like everyone hates to write billing code. It's just, it's a pain to test. It's a pain to write. You don't want to do it. So wherever there is, there are pain points. Like I love when we come up on something that's a pain to do because I know nobody else is going to want to do it. So the more of those hard things that we come up, the more excited I get. So I think that's number one for, for dev tools is you need to either be very excited about it because it's, it's solving a hard problem that you don't want to do or because it's introducing this new thing, this concept that you haven't thought about and you don't necessarily want to dedicate the time to learning about it. Um, so when I'm personally evaluating DevTools, uh, there is this, the energy equation, which is, all right, how much energy is it going to take to implement something? And it's not just, you know, it's not, as a developer tool, it's not you have outsourced this entire piece of code for me, right? It's, okay, now instead of, using this. So instead of, you know, using Stripe to manually or to handle subscriptions, maybe you are taking part of that, right? And you have this API wrapper, which simplifies it, but I still need to learn your API wrapper. So you need to be very cognizant of how much energy is going to be required, not how much you're saving them, but also how much they're going to need to learn your product. And these are all different levers that can be pulled, right? So you can with really awesome marketing and really awesome use cases, you can get people excited about it where they hit that activation energy and they're willing to dedicate two or three days to integrate with your product and learn it really well. But if it's not something that maybe is not the most exciting thing in the world, like churn key is, you know, it's a it's a billing churn thing. Nobody likes talking about churn. We know, we know very well we're not delusional, you know, it's not an exciting product. So the money aspect is is maybe exciting, right? You're you've got 
more revenue every month coming in. But from from the standpoint of a developer, they're not going to. It's not something they're going to be looking forward to implementing or installing. So, what we focus on is making sure that energy required for them to install Turnkey is really low. Like we want to make this implementation as simple as possible. And for the dev tools that I've used, that's almost always been the case. And something that I've seen done really well is, uh, for instance, um, products which have a small niche to cover, right? So there's this entry point almost where you can go in and you can start working on something and you can take a little bit of this bigger project. And that's where you can get integrated. And then once you get that initial entry point, kind of expand from there. Um, so that's another way to lower that activation energy required to use a developer tool. Yeah, that makes sense. And in speaking in, in terms of Chunky, like in that activation level, are there any kind of like levers or, or things that you've really felt of like, okay, we did this and it made it way easier for developers to take Yeah, I would say documentation is, I mean, it's an obvious one, but it has to be done really well. Uh, we spent... It's one of these where, as you're building a developer tool, you need to be really cognizant of your time. Going back to that thing where you know you're sitting at the table working for ten thousand different companies at once, any hours that you spend working on a particular customer support case where you're working with them to debug and troubleshoot, that's taking hours away from those other ten thousand companies, right? So you need to be really cognizant of your time and how to most effectively scale your time. That's what developer tools are all about. So when whenever we hit something where, you know, we get multiple requests for some, they've run into some problem. I mean, it's it's user error or not, but if somebody hits a problem, right, there's, there's either a problem in the UX or something's not clear enough in the documentation. So we pretty relentlessly, being a small team overall, we pretty relentlessly pursue these pain points and make sure that's as seamless as possible because we're not going to be able to scale and, and just throw support hands at these things. So as a small team, you've heard of probably engineering as marketing. Um, I am more bearish on that and more bullish at, on engineering as customer support. Um, just make it very, you know, good error logs when things do go wrong and just very, very clear UX. Yeah, that makes sense. But in, I see like a lot of companies kind of leave their uh, their documentation like kind of unloved like it usually like documentation is kind of like a few steps behind Mm -hmm. um the actual like what your api can do um how do you kind of put it at parity with yeah um like actually features and so ours wasn't for a while and we were using gitbook which is pretty commonly used and it Basically, Gitbook works with a Git repo, and you host all your pages in in some repo, and then it has a web page render where it will show all this. But the Gitbook editor is it's fine, but it's a bit of a headache to use. Like you're not just going to go in there and and make changes. We switched to using Super.so, which is a it's a wrapper around Notion. So you have a you have just a Notion page, and you can edit it, and basically real time those edits will show up on our documentation site. And it was this. Like we realized we weren't going in and updating the docs nearly as much as we should be. So we switched to Super and just using a Notion page. And it's it's been the best thing we could do for docs because now I am troubleshooting with somebody and I realized that our docs could be updated. And instead of like, you know, forgetting about it, 
and coming back to it a week later, I just go in real time and update the doc. So it's been this ease of access of updating the documentation, which has helped tremendously. So the other thing I would say is that um, we got away entirely from like trying to create API schema based docs, right? So right now it's, I would say 70% plain text and 30% examples and almost no schema type API. Like your open API or your swagger type documentation, which is, you know, it, it is technically correct, right? This, this is the endpoint that you can use and all the different parameters for it. That's more or less, it's a pain to use. And when you've got examples in front of you and just plain text explanations of it, it's better for all parties. It's better for somebody just reading through and, and figuring out how to do stuff. And with examples, it's it's a copy-paste exercise, right? You show the developers the pattern versus trying to abstractly describe what to do, and they just take it from there. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. So like, it makes so much more sense to see it very specifically work for this use case that then you can kind of extrapolate back to your own your own use case rather exactly. than like, here is all the information you need to know about how right. this API Right, works. exactly. And I'm, I'm actually interested on this front um, now, a lot of developers, they're using, you know, chat GPT or um, Copilot within VS Code. And it'll be interesting to see if adding code examples to GitHub, for instance, becomes a documentation strategy where Copilot can now pick up on those code examples that are in GitHub and automatically do them for you. So for very new products, obviously, Copilot won't have those examples to go with. But for something that's been around for a while, for example, I was working with the HubSpot, API, and it's these API calls that I've never used before, so I don't really know the exact syntax, but Copilot knew what they were, right? So that's that's a big advantage for HubSpot then, for developers to use it, because they it now they have to deal with a lot less developer burden on their front. So something to keep an eye on, for sure. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Are you going to do anything actively with ChatGPT? That's a good question. Um, Probably not. So I think there's some use cases within Chernkey, not on the, the documentation side, which we may explore. But um, on the documentation side, it, we'll see where it goes. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I really want to kind of like dig into an example of a tool that you bought recently, a, dev a developer tool that you bought recently and like kind of what your thought process was and like how you, how you arrived at that stage. Yeah. So one I switched to recently is a small product built by a solo developer. It's called LogSnag. So like log, it's it's a logging uh, product. And its whole pitch is that it's just super simple logging. Um, so as in, whereas before you might use something like Sentry, this or CloudWatch, this is basically, there's an, there's an API endpoint and you send a log which has a name and a category. And that's basically all there is to it. Um, there's a nice dashboard where you can see these events flowing in and uh, there's there's some neat charts and stuff you can stitch together. But basically the entire pitch of this company is that it's simpler than some of the other things out there, which try to automate everything for you. But as a developer, you've got a very good idea of, for this problem specifically, what kind of things you wanna log? What do you wanna pay attention to? And uh, it's it was it it basically sold me on that. Hey, we're the simplest option pitch. Yeah, and kind of thinking like even broadly, like as a CTO, like why was simplicity important to you? With logging specifically, and I I mean I guess this comes to a lot of things, but it's you 
don't want to dedicate a lot of energy learning a complex logging software, right? This is something where if I didn't use Logsnag, and we've used Sentry in the past, but again, Sentry is like the UI side of Sentry when you're actually exploring things. It's, it's very complex and it's, it's overloaded with information. Um, so the alternative when I was thinking about getting off of Sentry was to just log these things in our own database. So the next question on that was like, do you remember how you discovered Logsnag? Yes. So it was actually through Twitter, which seems to be the hotspot, especially for indie developers, people working on small SaaS projects. Um, so this was a, he was sharing his, the UI that he developed. And it, I mean, it's very common now to quote unquote build in public where you're sharing your MRR, you're sharing your growth. Um, but there's, I mean, there's different variations of that. And the ones I find most interesting are the ones where they're kind of sharing their product process. So their UI development. Um, I love, I'm, I'm a sucker for good UI. So um, I saw he was posting some updates on some some of the dashboards that he has, and I found him through there. Um, and that's actually been the story for another tool, uh, which is called Wobaka, which is actually a very similar pitch to the simplified logging, which is a simplified CRM. And while that's not a developer tool specifically, um, it is the same mindset of there's now there's so much, you know, burden of choice. It's all around us, right? So if there's something where it's, you know, does its job very specifically and, and isn't overweighted and, you know, it's going to be, you know, a decent price for it, um, I can see that being very compelling. And uh, going back to how I found them, yeah, I do think for dev tools, uh, Twitter can be a good marketing spot. It's a lot of times it's not natural for developers to jump onto that, put on that marketing hat and try to, you know, basically sell and market what they're building. It's, there's, I, at least as a, as a developer myself, I've always kind of fallen for this dream of build it and they will come. And it's unfortunately not the case. You can have the best software in the world and it needs marketing. So uh, what these successful small uh, dev tools have done is they have found a good marketing strategy on, I think a lot of them on Twitter. So it's, and again, I, I mentioned uh, this fallacy of, of building, they will come, but I have actually have a, a startup from, you know, five years ago, four or five years ago, where uh, I put all my effort into building it and basically zero effort into marketing it. And it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating that we can, we can build a great thing and, and it doesn't do well, but it's, it's just part of the reality of it and uh, something that, is it's i mean i'm still working to be comfortable sharing things and and it's it does i mean it feels like you're kind of bragging about it but i think there's there's an aspect of being proud of what you've built and where there is kind of the consensus around around building mvps and there's this phrase around if you are not ashamed of what you're shipping then you've done it too late right yeah. and i think I go the opposite way of that. I love to be very proud of what I'm building. And I think, especially as an individual developer, if you build something that you're not proud of, it's really difficult to come back to it. Like if you don't have time every day to be working on this and you've kind of done a half-assed job, it's not something that you're gonna to wanna to come back to on the weekend and work on it because you're not proud of it. So I think having this craftsman approach to it and being very proud of what you're building and making sure the code is in good shape can often be underrated in 
lieu of uh, trying to maximize for speed. Mm. Yeah, I see what you mean. So if you go slower, but you're always like sharing your process and like exactly. the good stuff that you're doing. Go slower, build good things, um, and share along the way. And mm. I think as developers, if we're hesitant to share things as is, and if it's not something we're proud of or something that we know has holes in it, if you lift up the cover, it's, it's not going to look good. I think that only adds to the hesitation to share it. So I think building something you're proud of and you can look back and, and three years later still be proud of it helps developers in particular to share their small projects as they start to grow. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, I might have to try that approach on my stuff because I've just been shipping stuff that's pretty rubbish. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is a balancing act, right? Yeah. You do want to get stuff and, and start to get feedback on it. But I think for, especially if you're working as an individual, there's this aspect of pride and kind of craftsman builder that can be helpful. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, Rob, I think the final question I want to ask you about um, is churn. I mean... Yeah. I imagine that that's pretty much an area of expertise for you now. Um, so I just wondered about like what kind of things you're seeing that companies are doing to like reduce their churn um, and, you know, what maybe some of our listeners can do with their own developer tools. Right. Churn is, it's a problem everyone faces. There's no getting away from it. You can have the best company in the world and you're still going to have churn. It's important to think about it, number one. It's not as fun as growth. It's not as sexy as new customers, but it's far cheaper to keep a customer that you already have than to try and go get a new one. So one of the interesting things that has happened since we launched Churnkey is I talked to, I mean, I talked to a ton of founders, which is awesome. And what I've realized is that the second and third and fourth time founders don't even question it, right? They get into the demo and they know immediately that they want to either build something like this or buy it. And it's because they know that churn has a huge effect on the bottom line. Uh, some of the first-time founders are more excited about growth, which is natural. It's completely natural. But um, it takes a little bit more selling to them um, to get them to buy into churn reduction through dynamic cancel flows and uh, failed payment recovery. So it's um, I, I think first of all is thinking about it is a a good first step. The other thing I would say is that dynamic point of cancellation offers, and that's kind of a fancy phrase, but it just means you know uh, if you've used Audible, um, you know when you go to cancel their account, and they will give you an offer to either pause or get a bonus credit. These are really really effective, like way more effective than I ever thought they would be. And it's just a good way to, to treat the cancellation experience less as a black and white experience, which is kind of natural for us, right? We, we've built something and if somebody wants to cancel, we don't want to hold them back. And we kind of think, all right, they're gone, right? So what I've realized is that cancellation is, this whole customer life cycle is not a black and white experience. It's, you, you, they click that cancel button and it's almost an opportunity to refresh that relationship with the customer especially now during an economic recession. I mean, churn rates are, are up across the board. Every single company that is connected to us or almost everyone, churn rates are up. So if you position yourself as an understanding company, especially if you're a B2C product, uh, you can position yourself as the company which understands the budgets are tight right now. 
and is working to meet your customers in the middle for a few months uh, while the economy and their business picks back up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, the Audible one, I feel like I've redeemed it like quite a few times. Oh yeah, so. I, I'm in there like, I think they say you can only do it every every year, but you can definitely do it at least every three months. I'm in there just raking in the credits. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Rob, if people want to learn more about Chunky and about yourself, where can they go to learn more? Appreciate the opportunity to pitch it a little bit here, I drop names. Uh, so churnkey.co is the domain name. And I, my name is Rob Moore. Um, there's, there's a lot of us out there. So the best thing to do is probably just Google Rob Moore Churnkey if you want to. I'm pretty active on Twitter, uh, do some fun UI development stuff, uh, machine learning, data visualization, that kind of thing. So um, if you want to follow me on uh, Twitter, uh, that would be awesome. Thanks so much for joining, Rob. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. And we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye.